The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Section 18. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Translated by Richard Burton. Section 18 When it was the twenty-fifth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the tailor's wife gave the hunchback that mouthful of fish which ended his term of days, he died on the instant. Seeing this, the tailor cried aloud, There is no majesty and there is no might save in Allah. Alas, that this poor wretch should have died in so foolish fashion at our hands. And the woman rejoined, Why this idle talk? Hast thou not heard his saying who said, Why then waste I my time in grief, Until I find no friend to bear my weight of woe? How sleep upon a fire that flames unquenched? Upon the flames to rest were hardy now. Asked her husband, and what shall I do with him? And she answered, Rise and take him in thine arms, And spread a silken kerchief over him. Then I will fare forth, With thee following me, This very night, And if thou meet any one, Say, This is my son, And his mother and I Are carrying him to the doctor, That he may look at him. So he rose, And taking the hunchback in his arms, Bore him along the streets, Preceded by his wife, Who kept crying, O oh, my son, Allah keep thee, what part paineth thee, and where hath this smallpox attacked thee? So all who saw them said, Tis a child sick of smallpox. They went along asking for the physician's house, till folk directed them to that of a leech which was a Jew. They knocked at the door, and there came down to them a black slave-girl, who opened, and, seeing a man bearing a babe, and a woman with him, said to them, "'What is the matter?' "'We have a little one with us,' answered the tailor's wife, "'and we wish to show him to the physician. "'So take this quarter dinar, and give it to thy master, "'and let him come down and see my son, who is sore sick.' "'The girl went up to tell her master, "'whereupon the tailor's wife walked into the vestibule, "'and said to her husband, "'Leave the hunchback here, and let us fly for our lives.' So the tailor carried the dead man to the top of the stairs, and propped him upright against the wall, and ran away, he and his wife. Meanwhile the girl went into the Jew, and said to him, At the door are a man and a woman with a sick child, and they have given me a quarter dinar for thee, that thou mayest go down, and look at the little one, and prescribe for it. As soon as the Jew saw the quarter dinar, he rejoiced, and rose quickly in his greed of gain, and went forth hurriedly in the dark. But hardly had he made a step, when he stumbled on the corpse, and threw it over, when it rolled to the bottom of the staircase. So he cried out to the girl to hurry up with the light, and she brought it, whereupon he went down, and examining the hunchback, found that he was stone dead. So he cried out, O oh, for Esdras! O oh, for Moses! O oh, for Aaron! O oh, for Joshua, son of Nun! O oh, the Ten Commandments! I have stumbled against the sick one, and he hath fallen downstairs, and he is dead. How shall I get this man I have killed out of my house? 
Oh, by the hooves of the ass of Esdras! Then he took up the body, and carrying it into the house, told his wife what had happened, and she said to him, Why dost thou sit still? If thou keep him here till day break, we shall both lose our lives. Let us carry him to the terrace roof, and throw him over into the house of our neighbour, the Muslim, for if he abide there a night, the dogs will come down on him from the adjoining terraces, and eat him up. Now his neighbour was a reeve, the controller of the sultan's kitchen, and was wont to bring back great store of oil and fat and broken meats. But the cats and rats used to eat it, or if the dogs scented a fat sheep's tail, they would come down from the nearest roofs and tear at it. And on this wise the beasts had already damaged much of what he brought home. So the Jew and his wife carried the hunchback up to the roof, and letting him down by his hands and feet through the wind-shaft into the reeve's house, propped him up against the wall, and went their ways. Hardly had they done this when the reeve, who had been passing an evening with his friends hearing a recitation of the Koran, came home and opened the door, and going up with a lighted candle, found a son of Adam standing in the corner under the ventilator. When he saw this, he said, Wah! By Allah! Very good, forsooth! He who robbeth my stuff is none other than a man. Then he turned to the hunchback and said, So, tis thou that stealest the meat and the fat. I thought it was the cats and dogs, and I kill the cats and dogs of the quarter, and sin against them by killing them. And all the while tis thou comest down from the house terrace through the wind-shaft. But I will avenge myself upon thee with my own hand. So he snatched up a heavy hammer, and set upon him, and smote him full on the breast, and he fell down. Then he examined him, and finding that he was dead, cried out in horror, thinking that he had killed him, and said, There is no majesty, and there is no might, save in Allah, the glorious, the great. And he feared for his life, and added, Allah cursed the oil, and the meat, and the grease, and the sheep's tails to boot. How hath fate given this man his quietus at my hand? Then he looked at the body, and seeing it was that of a gobbo, said, Was it not enough for thee to be a hunchback, but thou must likewise be a thief, and prig, flesh, and fat? O thou veiler, deign to veil me with thy curtain of concealment! So he took him up on his shoulders, and going forth with him from his house, about the latter end of the night, carried him to the nearest end of the bazaar, where he set him up on his feet against the wall of a shop at the head of a dark lane, and left him, and went away. After a while up came a Nazarene, the sultan's broker, who, much bemused with liquor, was purposing for the hammam bath, as his drunkenness whispered in his ear, Verily the call to matins is nigh. He came plodding along, and staggering about, till he drew near the hunchback, and squatted down to make water over against him when he happened to glance around, and saw a man standing against the wall. Now some person had snatched off the Christian's turban in the first of the night, so when he saw the hunchback hard by, he fancied that he also meant to steal his headdress. Thereupon he clenched his fist, and struck him on the neck, felling him to the ground, and called aloud to the watchman of the bazaar, and came down on the body in his drunken fury, and kept on belabouring and throttling the corpse. Presently the Charlie came up, and finding a Nazarene kneeling on a Muslim, and frapping him, asked, What harm hath this one done? 
and the broker answered, The fellow meant to snatch off my turband. Get up from him, quoth the watchman. So he arose, and the charley went up to the hunchback, and finding him dead, exclaimed, By Allah, good indeed, a Christian killing a Mahometan. Then he seized the broker, and tying his hands behind his back, carried him to the governor's house, and all the while the Nazarene kept saying to himself, O Messiah, O Virgin, how came I to kill this fellow? And in what a hurry he must have been to depart this life when he died of a single blow. Presently, as his drunkenness fled, came Dollar in its stead. So the broker and the body were kept in the governor's palace till morning morrowed, when the wally came out, and gave order to hang the supposed murderer, and commanded the executioner make proclamation of the sentence. Forthwith they set up a gallows, under which they made the Nazarene stand, and the torch-bearer, who was hangman, threw the rope round his neck, and passed one end through the pulley, and was about to hoist him up, when, lo, the reeve who was passing by saw the broker about to be hanged, and making his way through the people, cried out to the executioner, Hold, hold! I am he who killed the hunchback. Asked the governor, What made thee kill him? And he answered, I went home last night, and there found this man who had come down the ventilator to steal my property, so I smote him with a hammer on the breast, and he died forthright. Then I took him up, and carried him to the bazaar, and set him up against the wall in such a place near such a lane, adding, Is it not enough for me to have killed a Muslim, without also killing a Christian? So hang none other but me. When the governor heard these words, he released the broker, and said to the torch-bearer, Hang up this man on his own confession. So he loosed the cord from the Nazarene's neck, and threw it round that of the reeve, and making him stand under the gallows-tree, was about to string him up, when, behold, the Jewish physician pushed through the people, and shouted to the executioner, Hold, hold, it was I and none else killed the hunchback. Last night I was sitting at home when a man and a woman knocked at the door, carrying this gobbo, who was sick, and gave my handmaid a quarter dinar, bidding her hand me the fee, and tell me to come down and see him. While she was gone, the man and the woman brought him into the house, and setting him on the stairs, went away. And presently I came down, and not seeing him, for I was in the dark, stumbled over him, and he fell to the foot of the staircase, and died on the moment. Then we took him up, I and my wife, and carried him on to the top terrace, and the house of this reeve being next door to mine, we let the body down through the ventilator. When he came home and found the hunchback in his house, he fancied he was a thief, and struck him with a hammer, so that he fell to the ground, and our neighbour made certain that he had slain him. Now is it not enough for me to have killed one Muslim unwittingly, without burdening myself with taking the life of another Muslim wittingly? When the governor heard this, he said to the hangman, Set free the reeve, and hang the Jew. Thereupon the torch-bearer took him, and slung the cord round his neck, when, behold, the tailor pushed through the people, and shouted to the executioner, Hold, hold, it was I, and none else killed the hunchback, and this was the fashion thereof. I had been out a-pleasuring yesterday, and coming back to supper, fell in with this gobbo, who was drunk and drumming away, and singing lustily to his tambourine. So I accosted him, and carried him to my house, and bought a fish, and we sat down to eat. 
Presently my wife took a fid of fish, and making a gobbet of it, crammed it into his mouth. But some of it went down the wrong way, or stuck in his gullet, and he died on the instant. So we lifted him up, I and my wife, and carried him to the Jew's house, where the slave-girl came down and opened the door to us, and I said to her, Tell thy master that there are a man and a woman and a sick person for thee to see. I gave her a quarter dinar, and she went up to tell her master, and whilst she was gone, I carried the hunchback to the head of the staircase, and propped him up against the wall, and went off with my wife. When the Jew came down, he stumbled over him, and thought that he had killed him. Then he asked the Jew, Is this the truth? And the Jew answered, Yes. Thereupon the tailor turned to the governor, and said, Leave go the Jew, and hang me. When the governor heard the tailor's tale, he marvelled at the matter of this hunchback, and exclaimed, Verily, this is an adventure which should be recorded in books. Then he said to the hangman, Let the Jew go, and hang the tailor on his own confession. The executioner took the tailor, and put the rope around his neck, and said, I am tired of such slow work. We bring out this one, and change him for that other, and no one is hanged after all. Now the hunchback in question was, they relate, jester to the Sultan of China, who could not bear him out of his sight. So when the fellow got drunk, and did not make his appearance that night, or the next day till noon, the Sultan asked some of his courtiers about him, and they answered, O our Lord, the governor hath come upon him dead, and hath ordered his murderer to be hanged. But as the hangman was about to hoist him up, there came a second, and a third, and a fourth, and each one said, It is I, and none else killed the hunchback. And each gave a full and circumstantial account of the manner of the jester being killed. When the king heard this, he cried aloud to the chamberlain in waiting, Go down to the governor, and bring me all four of them. So the chamberlain went down at once to the place of execution, where he found the torch-bearer on the point of hanging the tailor and shouted to him, Hold! Hold! Then he gave the king's command to the governor, who took the tailor, the Jew, the Nazarene, and the reeve, the hunchback's body being borne on men's shoulders, and went up with one and all of them to the king. When he came into the presence, he kissed the ground, and acquainted the ruler with the whole story, which it is needless to relate, for, as they say, there is no avail in a thrice-told tale. The Sultan, hearing it, marvelled, and was moved to mirth, and commanded the story to be written in letters of liquid gold, saying to those present, Did ye ever hear a more wondrous tale than that of my hunchback? Thereupon the Nazarene broker came forward and said, O king of the age, with thy leave I will tell thee a thing which happened to myself, and which is still more wondrous and marvellous and pleasurable and delectable than the tale of the hunchback. Quoth the king, Tell us what thou hast to say. So he began in these words. The Nazarene Broker's Story O king of the age, I came to this thy country with merchandise, and destiny stayed me here with you. But my place of birth was Cairo in Egypt, where I also was brought up, for I am one of the Copts, and my father was a broker before me. When I came to man's estate, he departed this life, and I succeeded to his business. 
One day, as I was sitting in my shop, behold, there came up to me a youth as handsome as could be, wearing sumptuous raiment, and riding a fine ass. When he saw me, he saluted me, and I stood up to do him honour. Then he took out a kerchief, containing a sample of sesame, and asked, How much is this worth per ardab? Whereto I answered, A hundred dirhams. Quoth he, Take porters and gauges and meatsmen, and come to-morrow to the Khan al-Jawit, by the gate of Victory Quarter, where thou wilt find me. Then he fared forth, leaving me with the sample of sesame in his kerchief, and I went the round of my customers, and ascertained that every Ardab would fetch a hundred and twenty dirhams. Next day I took four meatsmen, and walked with them to the Khan, where I found him awaiting me. As soon as he saw me, he rose, and opened his magazine, when we measured the grain till the store was empty, and we found the contents fifty Ardabs, making five thousand pieces of silver. Then said he, Let ten dirhams on every Ardab be thy brokerage. So take the price, and keep in deposit four thousand and five hundred dirhams for me, and when I have made an end of selling the other wares in my warehouses, I will come to thee, and receive the amount. I will well, replied I, and kissing his hand, went away, having made that day a profit of a thousand dirhams. He was absent a month, at the end of which he came to me and asked, Where be the dirhams? I rose and saluted him, and answered to him, Wilt thou not eat somewhat in my house? But he refused, with the remark, Get the monies ready, and I will presently return and take them. Then he rode away. So I brought out the dirhams, and sat down to await him. But he stayed away for another month, when he came back and said to me, Where be the dirhams? I rose, and saluting him, asked, Wilt thou not eat something in my house? But he again refused, adding, Get me the monies ready, and I will presently return and take them. Then he rode off. So I brought out the dirhams, and sat down to await his return. But he stayed away from me a third month, and I said, Verily, this young man is liberality in incarnate form. At the end of the month he came up, riding a mare mule, and wearing a suit of sumptuous raiment. He was as the moon on the night of fullness, and he seemed as if fresh from the baths, with his cheeks rosy bright, and his brow flower white, and a mole-spot like a grain of ambergris delighting the sight, even as was said of such an one by the poet, Full moon with sun in single mansion, In brightest sheen and fortune rose and shone, With happy splendour changing every sprite. Hail to what guerdon's prayer with blissful boon! Their charms and grace have gained perfection's height, All hearts have conquered, and all wits have won. Lord to the Lord, for works so wonder-strange! and what the Almighty wills, his hand hath done. When I saw him, I rose to him, and invoking blessings on him, asked, O my Lord, wilt thou not take thy monies? Whence the hurry, quoth he, wait till I have made an end of my business, and then I will come and take them. Again he rode away, and I said to myself, By Allah, when he comes next time, needs must I make him my guest, for I have traded with his dirhams, and have gotten large gains thereby. 
At the end of the year he came again, habited in a suit of clothes more sumptuous than the former, and when I conjured him by the evangel to alight at my house and eat of my guest food, he said, I consent, on condition, that what thou expendest on me shall be of my monies still in thy hand. I answered, So be it, and made him sit down, whilst I got ready what was needful of meat and drink, and else besides, and set the tray before him, with the invitation, Bismillah. Then he drew near the tray, and put out his left hand, and ate with me, and I marvelled at his not using the right hand. When we had done eating, I poured water on his hand, and gave him wherewith to wipe it. Upon this we sat down to converse, after I had set before him some sweetmeats, and I said to him, O my master, prithee relieve me by telling me why thou eatest with thy left hand. Perchance something aileth thy other hand. When he heard my words, he repeated these verses. Dear friend, ask not what burneth in my breast, lest thou see fiery pangs I never saw. Wills not my heart to harbour Salma instead of Lila's love, but need hath ne'er a law. And he put out his right arm from his sleeve, and behold, the hand was cut off, a wrist without a fist. I was astounded at this, but he said, Marvel not, and think not that I ate with my left hand for conceit and insolence, but from necessity, and the cutting off my right hand was caused by an adventure of the strangest. Asked I, and what caused it? And he answered, Know that I am of the sons of Baghdad, and my father was of notables of that city. When I came to man's estate, I heard the pilgrims and wayfarers, travellers and merchants, talk of the land of Egypt, and their words sank deep into my mind, till my parent died, when I took a large sum of money, and furnished myself for trade with stuffs of Baghdad and Mosul, and packing them up in bales, set out on my wanderings. And Allah decreed me safety, till I entered this your city. Then he wept, and began repeating, The blear-eyed scapes the pit, wherein the lynx-eyed fall. A word the wise man slays, and saves the natural. The Muslim fails of food, the kafir feasts in hall. What art or act is man's? God's will obligeth all. Now, when he had ended his verse, he said, So I entered Cairo, and took off my loads, and stored my stuffs in the Khan al-Mas. Then I gave the servant a few silvers wherewith to buy me some food, and lay down to sleep a while. When I awoke, I went to the street called Bain al-Kazrain, between the two palaces, and presently returned, and rested my night in the Khan. When it was morning, I opened a bale, and took out some stuff, saying to myself, I will be off, and go through some of the bazaars, and see the state of the market. So I loaded the stuff on some of my slaves, and fared forth till I reached the Kaisaria, or exchange of Jaharkas, where the brokers who knew of my coming came to meet me, they took the stuffs and cried them for sale, but could not get the prime cost of them. I was vexed at this. However, the shaykh of the brokers said to me, O my lord, I will tell thee how thou mayest make a profit of thy goods. Thou shouldest do as the merchants do, and sell thy merchandise at credit for a fixed period, on a contract drawn up by a notary, and duly witnessed, and employ a shroff to take thy dues every Monday and Thursday. 
so shalt thou gain two dirhams and more for every one. And thou shalt solace and divert thyself by seeing Cairo and the Nile. Quoth I, this is sound advice, and carried the brokers to the Khan. They took my stuffs and went with them on change, where I sold them well, taking bonds for the value. These bonds I deposited with a shroff, a banker, who gave me a receipt with which I returned to the Khan. Here I stayed a whole month, every morning breaking my fast with a cup of wine, and making my meals on pigeon's meat, mutton and sweetmeats, till the time came when my receipts began to fall due. So every Monday and Thursday I used to go on change, and sit in the shop of one or other of the merchants, whilst the notary and money-changer went round to recover the monies from the traders, till after the time of mid-afternoon prayer, when they brought me the amount, and I counted it, and sealing the bags, returned with them to the Khan. On a certain day, which happened to be a Monday, I went to the Hammam, and thence back to my Khan, and sitting in my own room, broke my fast with a cup of wine, after which I slept a little. When I awoke, I ate a chicken, and perfuming my person, repaired to the shop of a merchant hight Badradin al-Bost, or the gardener, who welcomed me, and we sat talking a while till the bazaar should open. Presently, behold, up came a lady of stately figure, wearing a headdress of the most magnificent, perfumed with the sweetest of scents, and walking with graceful swaying gait. And seeing me, she raised her mantilla, allowing me a glimpse of her beautiful black eyes. She saluted Badr din who returned her salutation, and stood up and talked with her. And the moment I heard her speak, the love of her got hold of my heart. Presently she said to Badr din Hast thou by thee a cut piece of stuff woven with thread of pure gold? So he brought out to her a piece from those he had bought of me, and sold it to her for one thousand two hundred dirhams. When she said, I will take the piece home with me, and send thee its price. That is impossible, O my lady, the merchant replied, for here is the owner of the stuff, and I owe him a share of profit. Fie upon thee, she cried, do I not use to take from thee entire rolls of costly stuff, and give thee a greater profit than thou expectest, and send thee the money? Yes, rejoined he, but I stand in pressing need of the price this very day. Hereupon she took up the piece, and threw it back upon his lap, saying, Out on thee! Allah confound the tribe of you, which estimates nothing at the right value. And she turned to go. I felt my very soul going with her, so I stood up and stayed her, saying, I conjure thee by the Lord, O my lady, favour me by retracing thy gracious steps. She turned back with a smile, and said, For thy sake I return, and took a seat opposite me in the shop. Then quoth I to Badr din what is the price they ask thee for this piece? And quoth he, Eleven hundred dirhams. I rejoined, The odd hundred shall be thy profit. Bring me a sheet of paper, and I will write thee a discharge for it. Then I wrote him a receipt in my own handwriting, and gave the piece to the lady, saying, Take it away with thee, and if thou wilt, bring me its price next bazaar day, or, better still, accept it as my guest gift to thee. Allah requite thee with good, answered she, and make thee my husband and lord and master of all I have. And Allah favoured her prayer. I saw the gates of paradise swing open before me, and said, 
O oh, my lady, let this piece of stuff be now thine, and another like it is ready for thee. Only let me have one look at thy face. So she raised her veil, and I saw a face, the sight of which bequeathed to me a thousand sighs, and my heart was so captivated by her love that I was no longer ruler of my reason. Then she let fall her face veil, and taking up the piece of stuff, said, O oh, my lord, make me not desolate by thine absence, and turned away and disappeared from my sight. I remained sitting on change till past the hour of afternoon prayer, lost to the world by the love which had mastered me, and the violence of my passion compelled me to make inquiries concerning her of the merchant, who answered me, This is a lady and a rich. She is the daughter of a certain emir who lately died, and left her a large fortune. Then I took leave of him, and returned home to the Khan, where they set supper before me. But I could not eat for thinking of her, and when I lay down to sleep, sleep came not near me. So I watched till morning, when I arose and donned a change of raiment, and drank a cup of wine, and after breaking my fast on some slight matter, I went to the merchant's shop where I saluted him, and sat down by him. Presently up came the lady as usual, followed by a slave-girl, and wearing a dress more sumptuous than before, and she saluted me without noticing Badr ad-Din, and said in fluent graceful speech, Never heard I voice softer or sweeter. Send one with me to take the thousand and two hundred dirhams, the price of the peace. Why this hurry? asked I, and she answered, May we never lose thee, and handed me the money. Then I sat talking with her, and presently I signed to her in dumb show, whereby she understood that I longed to enjoy her person, and she rose up in haste with a show of displeasure. My heart clung to her, and I went forth from the bazaar and followed on her track. As I was walking, suddenly a black slave-girl stopped me and said, O oh my master, come speak with my mistress. At this I was surprised, and replied, There is none who knows me here. But she rejoined, O oh my lord, how soon hast thou forgotten her? My lady is the same who was this day at the shop of such a merchant. Then I went with her to the shroffs, where I found the lady, who drew me to her side, and said, O oh my beloved! Thine image is firmly stamped upon my fancy, and love of thee hath gotten hold of my heart. From the hour I first saw thee, nor sleep, nor food, nor drink hath given me aught of pleasure. I replied, The double of that suffering is mine, and my state dispenseth me from complaint. Then said she, O my beloved, at thy house, or at mine? I am a stranger here, and have no place of reception save the Khan, so, by thy favour, it shall be at thy house. So be it. But this is Friday night, and nothing can be done till to-morrow after public prayers. Go to the mosque and pray. Then mount thine ass, and ask for the Habiya quarter, and when there, look out for the mansion of Annaki Barak, popularly known as Abu Shih the Syndic, for I live there. So do not delay, as I shall be expecting thee. I rejoiced with still greater joy at this, and took leave of her, and returned to my khan, where I passed a sleepless night. Hardly was I assured that morning had dawned, when I rose, 
changed my dress, perfumed myself with essences and sweet scents, and taking fifty dinars in a kerchief, went from the Khan Mas to the Zuwaila gate, where I mounted an ass and said to its owner, Take me to the Habaniya. So he set off with me, and brought up in the twinkling of an eye at a street known as Darb al-Munkari, where I said to him, Go in and ask for the syndic's mansion. He was absent a while, and then returned, and said, Alight! Go thou before me to the house, quoth I, adding, Come back with the earliest light, and bring me home. And he answered, In Allah's name. Whereupon I gave him a quarter dinar of gold, and he took it, and went his ways. Then I knocked at the door, and out came two white slave-girls, both young, high-bosomed virgins, as they were moons, and said to me, Enter, for our mistress is expecting thee, and she hath not slept the night long for her delight in thee. I passed through the vestibule into a saloon with seven doors, floored with party-coloured marbles, and furnished with curtains and hangings of coloured silks. The ceiling was cloisonné with gold and corniced with inscriptions, emblazoned in lapis lazuli, and the walls were stuccoed with salty gypsum, which mirrored the beholder's face. Around the saloon were latticed windows, overlooking a garden full of all manner of fruits, whose streams were railing and riffling, and whose birds were trilling and shrilling and in the heart of the hall was a jetting fountain, at whose corners stood birds fashioned in red gold, crusted with pearls and gems, and spouting water crystal clear. When I entered and took a seat, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 18 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1